arriving in U.S. mail from St. Louis in the original de Havilland DH-4 biplane and 10 bulky gunny sacks are the combined audiobook renditions and supplemental background information as presented in podcast form by moi, me, Robert P. Fitton. Good evening to one and all, wherever in the galaxy you make your home. Ah, Santa Catalina, don't fret. Don't fret, Sam Crud will be returning to Santa Catalina with a certain someone as he figures out just what is going on. He's gathering information that will require the help from his buddy Danny at the FBI. But things do not always go as planned in life, setting off unforeseen obstacles. Sam and Queenie begin investigating Al Compton's murder together as the pathway leads to a much larger operation. Let us begin episode four of the Santa Ana Winds Sam Crud series by Robert P. Fitton. Chapter 12. My cell rang just before eight. I'd spent the last 15 minutes trying to wake up. The Oceanico Beach Police Station was calling. Maybe Marty would finally answer his text and calls from yesterday. Sam Crud. Nice of you to finally pick up, Crud, said Bender. What do you want, Bender? What do I want? Shouldn't it be, what do you want? You've been sticking your nose into police business up in Rio Martos, getting into barroom brawls and questioning individuals who are part of an official investigation. Thank God Bender knew nothing about my wreaking havoc in Morgan City trying to break into the building at Inland Acres. Is that all? No, it's not all, smart boy. I want your ass in my office at 9 a.m. Is that clear? Or I'll send a squad car out to your love pad. I shook my head as I grew increasingly angry. I pushed the end button, but Shirley called right away. Good morning, Sam. How did you make out a Chandler? I'll go over that later. Call Harry. I want my lawyer with me when I get down to Bender's office at 9 a.m. It could get messy. Sure. I'll get on it right away. Talk to you later. Ciao. I handed my Aunt Cookie money to get Muck's truck washed. Cookie stood in her office door in the basement. Muck is buying maintenance supplies and Cerritos. Now I'm heading to Bender's office. Uh-oh, said Cookie as she lit a cigarette. That man is a total horse's ass. I smiled. Harry Cranston is meeting me downtown. Harry confuses Bender. Catch you later, Cookie. Bye, Sam. I parked the bed shiny and running smoothly in the secondary parking lot behind the police station garage. Ten minutes later, I climbed up the stairs and waited for Harry in the open area surrounded by the police officers. I turned to the dispatch alcove. How are you, Linda? Linda, with a mass of styled brown hair, turned at the switchboard. Sambuca! My thoughts flew back to a wild Christmas party where Linda had downed drink after drink of Sambuca, laced with Cafe Coretto. I had a few drinks, but nothing like Linda, who I had to carry out to the car and then drove back to her condo. Then I split. I understand Bender wants me in his office. He's all pissed off. You were up in Rio Pardos. You have sensitive ears. Sensitive what? She asked, flashing her painted red nails. You heard me. Sambuca, Sambuca. Merry Christmas. She gave me a smile, short of sexy, but sulky enough to garner my attention. I looked toward the fan spinning above and shook my head. Benda's office was the third on the right. The frosted glass panel in the door designated the room as the lieutenant's office. Lieutenant Don Bender pushed open the door without knocking. The fat-faced Bender had his shoes propped up on the desk as he talked on the phone. He met me with fierce, dark eyes. 
His face tightened as he struggled to get his shoes on the floor. Hold on, Judge, he said as he threw the receiver on the desk. You come to my office, cried you damn well better knock. Like you did in my office? You said nine o'clock. I didn't want to be late. You get the hell out of here and don't come in here until I call you. Yes, sir. Asshole. No, Judge. No, no. Someone burst in my office. I shut the door and hid my smile. I took a seat on the bench across from the door. I glanced at my watch. Harry was always late and today was no exception. Ten minutes later, Benda's door opened and he returned to his desk chair. Come on in, crud. I haven't got all day. I looked toward the front lobby and walked in. Shut the door. I kicked it with my heel and the glass vibrated as the door slammed. What is it you want, Bender? I want to know what you were up to in Rio Marta and when you were last up there. I went up to snoop around following Al Compton's tracks for my client. Your defunct client? We'll see. What do you mean by that? Asked Bender as he stood. We'll see. He sat down and folded his hands. And what did you find out in Rio Martos? Not much. I was attacked in Finnegan's bar up there. I looked over my shoulder. I need my lawyer here. You went to the Hotel Munson. No comment. And you spoke with Perez, the manager. No comment. The door swung open. The bald Harry, hair askew on the sides, his suspenders seeming to hold up his large gut, stood disheveled in the open doorway. I didn't know whether his eyebrows were bushier than his mustache. I'm about to lock you up, cried. Oh, why don't you go down and lock yourself up, Don? said Harry in his booming voice. He had the habit of clearing his throat continuously. Too many cigars. Oh, don't start your bullshit, Harry, said Bender, pointing. You will submit your questions in writing said Harry, setting down his wrinkled briefcase that looked more like a suitcase. And we will provide the answers. It's a pretty simple scenario. What crud did up in Rio Martos? Harry stuck a toothpick between his teeth. Go bully somebody else, Don. See here, said Bender. Did he read you your rights, Sam? Asked Harry. Negative. Crud knows his rights. Oh, is that right? Harry twirled the toothpick, which upset Bender. I'll send you the questions, but I still don't know what crud learned up in Rio Martos. Damn it. Calm down, Don. Just submit your questions to my fax machine. May we leave now? Don't you have an email? No. Then go, said Bender, waving his hand. I gestured for Harry to leave before me. Bender then slammed the door. I understand that he has an investigation going on here, I said as we walked toward the lobby. There's no excuse for Bender's damned attitude. Plus, he bounds on the edge of illegality. You were right to call me, Sam. Of course. Goodbye, cutie. He said to Linda as he winked. Goodbye, Mr. Cranston. I lay back on the sofa watching the early sports report. With the Dodgers already in the playoffs, the reports were uninformative and boring. I always kept the background sound on wherever I was hanging out. I also had the phone to my ear, having spent the last hour in meaningless conversation with Queenie at her condo. But that was okay, for obvious reasons. I'd have trouble going back to work after a couple of days off. That's because you're never off, Sam. Plus, after getting in the tornado with Sam Crud, I look forward to a simple news report. You love the tornado. True. She said as my call waiting beeped. Hold on one second, Queenie, I have a call. No problem. I pushed the button. Sam Crud. Sam, Danny, I'm on my way to the hotel. I have information, plus I want to go over what you know. Sure, you want dinner? I already talked to Colonel Crocker. You like Cracker Jack, I said. I do, said Danny, laughing. I know you two have adversary personalities. That's just the opening act, Danny. Well, the Colonel already has a table set up for us in the grand dining room, Doreen. She's the Colonel's best waitress, I said. What's your ETA, Danny? Twenty minutes. You coming from Agora? I asked. Nah, the office in Pasadena. 
I'll get into my tux. You would do that too. See you then, Sammy. I went back to Queenie on the first call. Queenie, can you come over to the hotel in about an hour? What's up? She asked. Danny Chorus, my buddy with the FBI, has information. Really? The Colonel already has made space for us in the dining room. Crocker likes government. We should be done pretty quick. When I arrived a short time later in my tux, the colonel performed the most dramatic double take I'd ever seen. Marion raised her hands to her mouth as she grinned. Crud, I don't ever think I've seen you in a tuxedo, said the colonel as he rounded the desk. He had just had his short hair trimmed even shorter. You're not exactly the fashion plate of Southern California, colonel. I'm always in uniform. Your boxes are probably army issued, I said, needling him. They are. I regurgitated a deep laugh. <laughs> I was only kidding. The FBI after you, cried. Maybe, I said, letting the colonel stew in his own conspiracy theories. And you'd think you're going to impress SAC Chorus with your lame tuxedo routine. Colonel, you're so damn cynical. Thanks for the table. Not for you, cried. I adjusted my bow tie and headed toward the mostly filled dining room at the far end of the lobby. I approached the dining room and the dinner chatter volume increased. Pearl Westman, holding the gold-framed menus, gave me a quick wave. Well, what do we have here? Getting your award tonight, Sam? I smiled slowly. Mr. Suave and sophisticated of Oceanico Beach. Yes, the Colonel will be giving me the award. The only award the Colonel would give you would be a fully loaded tank. I tilted my head back and laughed. Actually, you do look pretty good, Sam. Of course. You want a drink until Mr. Chorus gets here? Usual. Borrego Springs Dark Brew. Like they brew that beer in Borrego Springs. Probably China. I said as I looked to my right, Colonel Chrisley walked upright, escorting the dark-suited Danny across the lobby. I'll get your beer to the table, Sam. Thank you, ma'am. Pearl pursed her lips, dipped her head, and then lip smiled. I called it the pearly blessing. Danny's dark eyes brightened and he slapped me with a tight handshake. He had an endearing, full-toothed smile. Sammy, you did wear that tux, you bugger. The colonel sneered at me and then began ordering Pearl around. Make sure our agent Curris is comfortable. Thank you for your hospitality, colonel, said Danny as he shook the colonel's hand. You're welcome, sir. He arched his back and then he glanced at me. Crud. Then the colonel marched back across the lobby. This way, Sam, said Pearl. Agent Curris? You know, Sam, your weight never changes. 257, right? Yeah, it never changes. It's been that way since freshman year. One of the waitresses, a redhead with short hair, moved her finger toward me. Arlene just started last week. Right, said Danny. His face physically changed into a serious countenance. What's the matter, Danny? I'm kind of off the record right now. Okay. I don't mean... I mean, I don't have permission. My buddy's in trouble and I could be screwed if this backfires. Danny who? Same old Sam, he said, hitting my shoulder. Pearl seated us near the massive stone fireplace. Doreen will be right with you. Thank you, Pearl, I said and quickly sat down. You look like the Grim Reaper just rolled you over, Danny. Just as Pearl returned to the hall, the veteran waitress, Doreen Cosgrove, pushing 40, but moving as if she were 20 years old, scooted up to the table. Sam? Hello, Doreen. Doreen, this is Agent Curris from the FBI. Guess I better behave myself. Always a good idea, said Danny. Drink, Mr. Curris? Danny, Coke is fine. Sam, your Borrego Springs dark is on the way. I'll be right back. Danny smiled but had developed a cool, professional demeanor since college. Sam, I first have to say before we talk that you're dealing with something much bigger than you might have thought. I'm aware of that. Do you need a lawyer to talk to me, Sam? We take all night trying to find out what bar he's drinking at, I said. Danny grinned but got serious again. Do you know the name Leonard Constantini? Must have something to do with a pub in Morgan City called Constantine's. I don't know about that. Probably haven't heard of Constantini because he hasn't been around for years. He was incarcerated 11 years ago. He's up for parole in 18 months. Let me guess, Danny. Mr. Constantini and the late Al Compton became best buds at Escobedo. 
Danny stopped and sat up straight. I guess the private eye classes in Northridge paid off. Then he smiled his classic Danny smile. You're thinking Al Compton was just a basic loser. Yes. I think Al Compton was higher up than this, I said. Somebody was told to kill him, and they sent a woman, supposedly from Bellflower, up here to say that she was his sister because they needed to ID the body. Danny had his legal pad out of the briefcase and his pen in hand. Okay, let's get this from the beginning. Well, here's what I know. Stola was a phony who disappeared with her so-called sister. She had requested that she needed a P.I. Sergeant Martin had me talk to her. I had my friend Lucy stay with her while I viewed Al Compton's body. Stola's real name is Rebecca Langston, a.k.a. Becky Lang, a small-time actress at several studios. Danny raised his hands. Wait. Do you mind if I record this conversation? No, go ahead. Danny removed her voice recorder that looked like a microphone and tucked the cover in his suit coat pocket. He clicked a red button on the recorder and then set it on the table. Doreen was back with the dark beer and coke and set the glasses on the table. Do you want a few minutes? Well, what do you suggest, Sam? Steak, well done, mashed potatoes and peas. Parisio Oceanico rolls with butter. Chocolate mousse for dessert. Make it two, said Danny, but medium on the steak. Very good. Comes with a large garden salad. So, somebody hired Lang and an older woman to check out Compton, said Danny. I sipped the beer and nodded. I believe Lang is associated with Inland Acres, a new living project in Chandler. How'd you come up with that? Okay, my buddy Woody and I drove to the Finnegan's at Rio Martos. Why? Because Al Compton was unloading contraband in wood boxes at Richmond Express in Rio Martos and drank at Finnegan's. We asked for Al Compton when we got into Finnegan's. I can fill in the details later. I've got it all on my phone. You can transfer the data. Not really. I need approval for that. You can take it with you, Danny. I have another phone. Get your approval and then get it back to me. You sure? Yeah, nothing to hide here. So we get into this ruckus with these badass dudes at Finnegan's. Shots are fired and Woody drives the vet away through a donut drive-thru and we escape. Danny opened his eyes and sat up straight. Somebody got rattled about Compton. They just didn't like us in there. Then we have the Munson Hotel in Rio Matos. The manager Perez told us that Al Compton got chewed out big time, berated by two guys and an SUV driver named Naki. Sergeant Martin sent sketch artists up there. The sketches are in my phone. Martin gave them to you? No. I snapped the pictures when he left his phone on the table. Doreen and Kareem, a Middle Eastern waiter with matted dark hair, arrived with the rolls, water, and salads. You have those sketches in the phone? I nodded and started in on the salad. And then there's Morgan City. Marty, Sergeant Martin. Well, we can get the sketches from him as well as the info he has. You two work together. Yeah, Marty told me early on that Al Compton was from Morgan City. There was a wife still up there. I had my assistant at the hotel check to see if Stoller, Lang, called anyone on the hotel phone or the empty suite in my lot. I also instructed him to snap photos from the surveillance video of Lang. My friend got numbers and photos of Lang and the other woman who showed up. That was probably supposed to be her sister. I took a gulp of beer this time and gave it all to Marty. Then a few days later, Marty tells me about the phone calls. She has a Riverside number that was routed to the bar I told you about in Morgan City. Well, that may be connected to Leonard Constantini. Well, it gets better. Danny opened his hands. Glad you called me. I drove to Morgan City in the vet. I took the long way around the mountains. I went into Constantine's that night, noticed a warehouse attached to the bar. The next day I checked the address Marty gave me for Al Compton. It's in a local builder's development, AM Builders. But I noticed something odd. Well, what was that? Asked Danny, leaning forward with folded hands. The banner, a newspaper from Chandler, unread from approximately 15 days ago. Very good, Sam. I can't wait to see where this is going. That's coming. I went to the warehouse the next night through the basement. 
It was an abandoned building filled with seahorse plumbing supplies. I got caught by guys from the bar in yellow hoodies and then this thug pit bull named Roy. Anyone named Steve Ruthier or Craig Northrup? No, who are they? Lieutenants for Constantini. The short story is I got out of the building and saw them later loading up trucks. Address? Corner of Buckingham and Rockwell. Thanks. Danny sat up again. Why the hell isn't Marty in on this? Because his idiot boss has this investigative excellence program, a.k.a. how to make Lieutenant Bender look good. Oh, my sister Rose had something like that at work. How is Rose? Engaged. I smiled. Well, I dated her once. Once was enough for Rose. So when they ran the operation from the warehouse, they had someone bring the wood boxes with something worth a lot of money down to Richmond Express. Then they had Richmond pick up the shipments with other plumbing supplies from Morgan City. And should I guess from Richmond to Chandler? That would be a good guess, Danny boy. So you went out to Chandler, and if it were me, I would find the construction projects that used plumbing parts. I pointed at Danny as I finished my beer. We went to Inland Acres and met a saleswoman dressed similar to Lang. Danny raised his brows. It's a locked storage building that may contain those supplies because my friend and I couldn't find anything marked Seahorse Plumbing. Friend? The reporter, Maura McGonagall. Z-75. Is that smart? Yes. And that's all you'll tell me? Yes. Uh, I get it. Never mind that. Two more things. One of the men that harassed Al Compton at the Munson, he's photographed on a wall mural, black and white, slightly blurred in the background, at the clubhouse at Inland Acres. Not part of the Poe's photo. And that's in your phone? Yes. He was a bushy-haired man in a suit coat. And there was a barn across the dirt, under a tree on a hill. That barn had a trailer stuffed inside. Interesting. And a pile of chipped rocks next to a ditch. Danny creased his brow. That's where I think they were going to bury Al Compton. Probably add a little cement. Explain. Okay, I found a berry from a plant called Catalina Manzanita on the walkway to the skiff where they found Al Compton. I had never seen that in Southern California. I brought it to Chippy. Dean Chippy? Dean Chippy. He got it to Swenson in the biology department. It grows on the mountain sides of the Channel Islands and Catalina. Hey, you want to work for us? I like my gig. Woody and I took the high speed to Catalina. I thought the winds would shut those boats down. Oh, you don't know Woody's luck. Did you see any of the Catalina Manzanita? Asked Danny. Yeah, but it could have come from the Channel Islands. What did they leave and who picked it up? I don't know that but it must have been continuous and then packed in Morgan City for sale, shipped to Rio Martos, and out to Chandler. Did Constantini direct this from jail, Danny? Very likely. So you're saying that someone met with Al Compton and then killed him, Sam. Why? Doreen and Kareem and two servers arrived with the steaks. I ordered another beer. Danny stored the recorder and filled the white linen tablecloth with a magnificent meal that I was all too happy to eat. Telling what I had learned drained my energy. Danny was livid that Bender had held Marty back in the investigation. He suggested I back off and even take a vacation away. Anything else, gentlemen? Fine, thank you, Doreen. She smiled as they retreated. Danny leaned toward me. Constantini acts without remorse. And they must know of your involvement. That bomb under your car should have been evidence of that. I hear you, Dan. I need your promise that while I work on this, that you stay out of it. You don't understand. My friend Lucy, the one that stayed with Lang, she was murdered, just like Al Compton slashed at the neck. I'm sorry, but you need to watch your backside, Sam. I'll think about it, I said, realizing how deep I had gotten into this. And I'd do it for Danny. Let Danny go over to Chandler and figure the rest of this out. And your TV friend. Queenie will be here shortly. Queenie? he asked. Speaking of names, I seem to remember a certain cheerleader named Sis Boom Ba. How the hell do you remember her, Sam? You asked her to marry you. I was young and innocent. Well, young. 
I pointed at Danny. Queenie is a good kid. I handed my smartphone to Danny. Here, just get it back to me in a few days. Very good. Let's eat. When Danny and I crossed the lobby, the Colonel spoke with Queenie, gesturing with her hands near the sofa across from the check-in counter. Mrs. Colonel processed something for a family at the desk. Ah, Agent Curis, said the Colonel, bypassing me. I could see the Colonel was about to introduce Queenie to Danny. Queenie, this is Danny Curris. Hi, Danny. Nice to meet you, said Danny as the Colonel's face reddened. A.K.A. Maura McGonagall, said Queenie. Sam will brief you on the conversation, Queenie. Can I be of any assistance, Mr. Curris, said the Colonel. Actually, yes, Colonel. My pleasure, said the Colonel, grimacing briefly at me. I may get photographs of certain individuals to you in case they are in the Parisio Oceanico. We have 24-hour surveillance that we can review. I rolled my eyes at Queenie. Colonel, that is very helpful. Queenie, nice to meet you, said Danny. Sam, I'll get back to you tomorrow afternoon. Good. Good night, Colonel. Good night, sir. I thought the Colonel would salute, but he shook Danny's hand. As Danny walked toward the empty concierge desk in the front door, as the Colonel turned to me. Good man, Curtis. Carry on. The Colonel returned to his desk. You heard him, crud. Carry on, said Queenie, giggling. I intend to. You want to walk the beach? Should I trust you? She asked. Probably not, but I'll pick up Buster from the loft. He'll protect you. Chapter 13. I was surprised by the dozen or so cars in the beach parking. The wind had subsided, but then again, it was Friday night. Buster's leash tightened near the metal trash barrel. I pulled him back and then had to use my command voice. No, I yelled quickly. Buster moved away from the barrel and sat. I'm impressed, Sam, said Queenie, taking my larger hand. Where did he learn commands? When I went to the school in Northridge, I met a dog trainer from La Cañada. When I got Buster last year, I signed him up. Maybe you should consider sending the colonel up there. <laughs> I laughed so hard, I began coughing and had to stop. Queenie, laughing also, hit me on the back several times. That's a good one. Break the old buzzard. We followed the cement beach wall to the brighter lights near Surf Drive and took up residence on one of the slotted wood benches with Buster lying down in front. Actually, I'm glad you turfed this to your friend Danny. There's more than enough to bring charges. I pressed my lips. We don't even know what Al Compton was transporting, nor do we know who killed him and where. Or the bushy-haired guy on the mural and his buddy from the Munson. And Naki, she said. Let them do it, Sam. And what they find will bring justice for Lucy. Her funeral's private. Apparently a cousin is handling it. They aren't happy with me. Like you knew what was going to happen said Queenie as she patted Buster's large furry head. Speak, I commanded, and Buster barked. Queenie laughed. He's very smart. What if you need protection? You know, if you were fighting for your life, what command would you use? I whispered in her ear. Geronimo. Down, I said, and Buster moved his paws outward. Then I picked up a stick to my right. Stay. Good boy. He does stay. Of course he does. Quiet, or I'll use those commands on you. Promises, promises. Fetch, I shouted and threw a stick over to the sand. Buster cleared the wall and had the stick in seconds. He leaped to the top of the wall and ran to the bench where he dropped the stick. Good boy, good boy, eat. I threw a treat into the air and Buster snatched it. Queenie smiled and then snuggled closer with her arm around my arm and her soft blonde hair on my shoulder. I have a question for you, Sam. I looked into her vibrant green eyes for a few seconds. Then I kissed her. The kiss was warm and tender and reciprocal had a question. Her eyes were heavy. Question? What question? She put her head on my shoulder again. You're a license tag, Sam 12. It's an old California plate. Why Sam 12? Sam 12 was my grandmother. Samantha? Yep. As Christmas approached, my grandfather kept asking her to marry him. Apparently, as legend goes, on the 12th day of Christmas, she agreed to marry him. That's sweet been on the bed ever since the day it rolled off the showroom floor. Really? Yep. My granddad bought the car from Jerry Lott and Chevy in Wilmington. No kidding, she said looking up at me. I wasn't even alive. When he died, I got the car. I didn't realize he had let it go. It needed a lot of work. 
I brought it up to snuff in a way that he would have wanted it. You have a sentimental side, Sid, cried. don't tell anybody. Plus, I love driving the car. Again, we looked at each other and kissed. I heard the music coming out of the med's dance room. Do you hear that? The med, where do you have to be tomorrow? I asked. Housing dispute story in San Clemente. Let's go into the med and have a few dances. I'll have you home before midnight, princess. I can bring Buster back to the loft. Buster's ears perked up at the mention of his name. You can't just direct him back to the hotel. We both laughed. Three dances. I'll take it. She placed her teeth over her lower lip. What am I getting into? I put my arm around her shoulder. Put on your crash helmet, Queenie. I think it's going to be one hell of a ride. Blue and ultraviolet spotlights shot across the packed dance floor like flak to incoming aircraft. At the end of the fourth dance, the lights went down to a softer, stationary red. We danced slow to an early rock and roll song, and that granddad and grandma would have danced slowly like Queenie and I were right now. Maybe we even looked like early rock and rollers staring at each other. I saw Bad out of the corner of my eye, standing with Woody near the windows overlooking the lights along the beach. They held their drinks and watched us as if we were on Dancing with the Stars. We have an audience. Who? asked Queenie. The usual suspects, I said, bringing her even closer. Woody and Bad. Eat your heart out, boys, she said, laying her head against my chest. We continued in the red light past midnight. To my left, both Woody and Bad plowed through the dances. Then I saw Naki in a brown leather coat, his almond dark eyes like demons in the night. He pushed open a switchblade and ran toward me. I turned quickly just a few feet from this monster with the blade. Bad knocked over three guys and tackled Naki hard enough to send him on his stomach toward the windows. Naki rolled over and was on his feet. As I ran with Woody from both angles, Naki faced Bad. Bad thrust his leg up quickly, knocking the knife across the floor, while lifting the larger man against the wall. As he prepared to pummel Naki, Naki kicked him with the knife pointing out of his boot. Bad was sliced in the forearm. With his arm bleeding, Bad smashed Naki through the exploding window glass into the outside parking lot. I backtracked to the window. You all right, Bad? Bad ripped his shirt and wound it around the slice. Screw him, he said, looking out the open window frame. Where is the SOB? You need attention, said Woody. I didn't see Naki, but I heard a car spin out of the upper parking lot. The taillights brightened and the car paralleled the beach as the sound of police cars could be heard beyond Surf Drive. Then the blue and red lights swung crazily around the outside of the building and then on the inside walls. Queenie held onto my arm. I was going to call Danny, but Marty was closer. I see him. Come on, it's uh, almost one o'clock in the morning, said Marty, yawning. Marty, Naki just attacked us at the med. Naki, the dude from the mantra? Here at Oceanico Beach? asked Marty. Bad was stabbed in the arm. I was about a half a second away from leaving this planet, Marty. Naki took off down the drag. Five cruises are out there now. Sergeant Waisaki is on now. He can take the statement, Sam. He can handle it. Then I'll meet you at the pier tomorrow morning, seven hours from now, at 8 a.m. on the pier. I'll get this guy Naki sketch out right now. Ciao. What did he say? Asked Queenie. He chickened out. He said Sergeant Waisaki will handle it here. Marty will meet me tomorrow morning. I looked at Queenie's frightened eyes. You need protection until this is over, Queenie. I want you with muck and cookie. No argument here. Cops were already inside and I pointed to it bad. Now I knew what Danny meant by getting out of town with Queenie. And I was considering it until the FBI got these people. I placed a call to Danny, but his phone kicked into voicemail. He had been gone a few hours and could be in bed by now. As they stitched Bad's forearm and wrapped his arm, I called my own smartphone, now in Danny's briefcase. It went into my voicemail. I was about to scroll away when I saw the location in Nagoro Canyon, near the ocean off Malibu. That was odd. You're right, Bad? You're welcome. Thanks. What about me? asked Woody. We'll leave that for the psychiatrist's office, Woody. We drove in Bad's pickup truck. Bad was unaffected by the stabbing. It was as if he had just stubbed his toe. Woody, tired, leaned his head against the rear window. 
Queenie sat in my lap and spoke with their producer, Ron Johnson. She summarized the knifing incident, and I agreed that she give out Naki's name and transmit the sketch I sent to her phone earlier in the week. Now this guy's photo would be all over the southwestern United States. We dropped Woody off at his apartment above the surf shop, but before he went up the stairs, I asked him to check in with me as I shadow Queenie tomorrow during her reporting. Bad drove into the hotel's rear entrance behind the loft, and we all headed up the stairs. Buster headed for his food dish as we entered the apartment through the open door. Muck sat at the table with an AR-15 nestled in his lap, and Cookie worked on a crossword puzzle. A chrome 9mm lay on the table next to the ashtray. Welcome aboard, said Muck with a straight face. I heard the police scanner, Sam. Fortress Densmore, I said. Doreen left this for you, said Cookie, holding up a Parisio Oceanico bag. Doggy bag? I asked. She said the guy you had dinner with must have dropped the cover to something. I looked inside. The cover to Danny's voice recorder sat in the white bag. Thanks. Who's the guy with the blade? Asked Muck. Part of this Al Compton thing, Muck. I said, looking up. Not sure if he killed Al Compton. Sounds like one mean bastard, said Cookie, filling in a word with her ink pen. He was and is. Queenie, I'll be here at eight. We can have a quick breakfast before you go to work. Thanks, Sam, she said, looking into my eyes. I'll be across the hall, I said, and I hugged her. You should call Danny again, said Queenie, looking up. Let him know what happened. I will, I said, running my fingers along her cheeks. Well, what the hell is this? asked Bad. The end of the senior prom? I want to talk to you for a few minutes, Bad. Bad escorted me out the door. He looked back as they closed the door. You're in love, pal. Enamored, I replied. Damn, I can't fault you for that. Queenie is hot. I smiled and opened the new electronic lock as we passed through with Bad nodding at the lock. But as I looked at the phone, my head jolted back. This is really messed up. According to my tracking, Danny is still off Nagoro Canyon near the ocean above Malibu. He's there at one o'clock in the morning? We haven't seen Danny in over a year. You bringing in the FBI on this Compton thing? Danny is involved. Like Cookie said, I met with him at the hotel earlier. Compton was definitely unloading something very expensive and then shipping it to Chandler. I looked at my phone. The problem, Bad, is Danny's car hasn't moved in an hour since I first spotted it. He gave you permission to track his phone? No, I gave him my phone with the info. I have the tracking on for this phone. Let me see that, said Bad as I handed him my second phone. He's off the road, damn. What do you want to do, Sam? How far is it to Nagoro Canyon? Bad paused for a few seconds. An hour and a half minimum. Call the cops. Maybe it was car trouble, I said. Come on, crud, call the cops. Buster, come. Buster ran over and sat in front of me. Can't call the cops. Danny was meeting with me on the QT only because of our background. I knew I wouldn't get any sleep tonight. Come on, let's go. Chapter 14. I had never driven the vet at a consistent 87 miles an hour, but I raced up the Santa Ana freeway to the Ventura freeway. Driving fast was easy with the wind non-existent and the bubble top secure. It was now almost 3 a.m. when we took the Calabasas exit south. Buster was fascinated with the ride, sitting between Bad and me and stared ahead as my headlights lit the narrow canyon road. This is one exit south of where Danny lives, Bad. The canyon road wound high above a scrub brush slope, partially lit by the waning moon. Bad panned the canyon with my night ops binoculars. Not good, Sam. He studied my second phone, still plugged into the lighter. Did he go over the edge? I don't know yet. I slowed the vet and downshifted when I saw deep black skid marks on the asphalt. The distinct smell of burnt rubber lingered in the night air. I looked at Bad in the dim interior light. We left Buster in the seat as we piled out of the car under a galactic panorama of twinkling stars. The swell crescent moon sat above the Pacific like an impressionist nighttime painting of luminescent moonbeams in the wavy water. Bad was armed with two thirty-eights, and I carried Beatrice in my back holster. Through the night off's binoculars, I located where the phone said Danny's car should be. The slope first dipped down to a six-foot-wide man-made river that paralleled the canyon road, but the lower canyon slope angled down for almost a half a mile where it leveled off. 
first slope dipped down to a six foot wide man-made river that paralleled the canyon road. But the lower canyon slope angled down for almost a half a mile where it leveled off. A spindly road squiggled through the lower canyon some distance away. Oh, what the hell? asked Bad. Maybe he or someone chucked the phone out the window. That's possible. I handed him the binoculars. Those skid marks are brutal, said Bad as he sniffed the air. Then he commenced a slow pan of the hillside. My thoughts flashed back to Danny's smile in the Oceanico dining room. I thought about playing football with him in college. Why had he exited before Agora? Oh, damn. What is it? I asked, reaching for the binoculars. Halfway down to the lower road, I'm not sure. It looked like a car turned upside down. We're going to have to get to that lower road, Sam, because if we cross that river, the long slope begins on the other side. Fall down there and you'll be tumbling for half a mile, Bad. I pulled the binoculars away. The overturned wheels arched upward in the brush. No sign of a fire. I slowly traced the night ops over what I perceived the trail to be through the brush. That brush would have caught fire. I got news for you, Sam. If Danny was in that car down that slope, he's long gone. Hold on. I said as I started back to the vet. Where are you going? To get something for Buster. The hell are you talking about, Sam? I opened the door and grabbed Buster's leash and then pulled out the bag from Danny's recorder. What's in there? The cover to Danny's recorder. I stuck Buster's face in the bag. Track. Buster sat up straight, sniffing all the while. The thick brown leash went taut and Buster moved forward in the moonlight. He started down a short slope to the plateau containing the rivulet. I steadied myself in the moonlight on the scattered rocks as Buster twisted and turned as he combed the ground in the air. Then he broke away, but I didn't call him back. He had rocketed ahead to the thicker brush area about 50 yards away where he disappeared with the little stream into the foliage. The hell is he going? asked Bad. You sure Buster is safe along that slope? Safer than we are, Bad Boy. Then I heard Buster bark inside the foliage. Bad and I scampered along, splashing the water, and we crossed into the brush. Buster barked again. I popped on the power flashlight, gripping the branches to prevent falling toward the slope at the edge of the brush. I spotted Buster sitting upright over a body sprawled into the brush. Damn. Bad shined his power light into the brush, and I saw Danny's body close up. His face was down and his clothes torn, probably from jumping from the car. Scratches and bloody streaks laced his cheek. I held his wrist to search for a pulse. No sign of a pulse at the wrist, but I heard his heart beating when I listened on the chest. He's alive, Bad. No way. Don't move him. He's all busted up. I had my second cell out to call 911. Our position was clear on the phone map. I began babbling before I even know which station I had reached. I gave them the location according to my phone. A sergeant came on the line and they told me they'd be here within 15 minutes. I stared at the unconscious Danny, knowing he was still not in good shape, having been thrown a few hundred feet into the brush off the highway. How many more people are going to die bad because of this case? Danny's going to make it, Sam. We got to him in time. I looked down at Buster. Good boy, Buster, I said, patting his head and slipped a treat into his mouth. There are some things, Bad, that humans just can't do. The aqua glow in the sky to the east began to give some contours to the basin and the San Gabriel Mountains. Inland acres in the shadow of the distant mountains was not yet visible. The blue and white ambulance chopper shined an intense spotlight down to the road and hovered several hundred feet over the scrub brush. Fifteen minutes later, the firefighters had chainsawed a round circle in the brush around Danny, then the rest of the EMTs helped guide the stretcher as it was lowered from the chopper. Three FBI SUVs showed up before they got Danny in the chopper. Other choppers landed in the lower road. By the time Danny was hoisted into the air, the flashing blue and red cruisers had arrived on the lower road. Officers began swarming over the slope. With Buster back in the vet, a tall, square-jawed man with short gray hair approached me from down the road. He had cold gray eyes and his voice had a scrappy, streetwise tone. I'm Bill Holland. Sam Crud. Ah, the P.I. in Oceanico Beach who questioned why Compton was killed. I already didn't like his attitude. What do you think, Bill? 
Howland exposed his teeth before he spoke. I think the guy was a lowlife, and you hang around with scum, you might get killed. What? It's a big nothing, Berger Krug. We know that Curris met with you at the Parisio Oceanico. He was not authorized to meet with you or discuss anything with you. Frankly, I care more about whether my friend survives an obvious attempt on his life. Never bring friends into business. Sure, I'll make a note of it. I don't like you, Crud. You're just a wannabe. Adjusting my white and gold hotel baseball cap in the rising wind. I don't care if you like me or not. And I don't care if you think this is a nothing burger. Maybe you care if your license gets revoked. Real professional, Bill. And I did meet with my pal Danny, and I told him everything I know. I didn't tell Holland that Danny had recorded our conversation, nor did I inform the agent that I gave him my phone. How the hell did you know Danny was up here, cried. I have my own private satellite. I could take you in, wise ass. I tracked him. You know how you track friends on your phone? That was half right, more than I should have told this clown. Danny was one exit shot of Agora, where he lives. The car was motionless in the canyon, so we came up here. Well, you may have saved his life. That's the only reason I don't take you in. Danny's head was steady, his body wrapped in sheets. He was now a hundred feet above us, nearing the chopper opening. They hauled him inside. You really should dig deeper into Al Compton's death, I said. Stay out of this. You have no reason to be in any of this. I don't want to warn you again. I looked down the slope to Danny's flipped car. Whoever forced Danny off the road could have possession of that recorder. This is attempted murder, Harlan. You're treating it like a parking ticket. You listen to me, Crud. And this is how we're going to handle this incident. This is a car off the road at the wrong exit. That's it. Crud, you were never here. Or was your buddy Byron? What about Naki, who tried to kill me last night? I asked. Naki was seen in Morgan City two hours ago. He's an extremely dangerous individual, so just drop it. The switchblade and me got acquainted. They killed my friend Lucy, and now almost Danny. Right. Why do I think you're holding back on me, Holland? Shut up, crud, he said with a surly grin. I didn't answer, nor did I tell him about Catalina. But I sensed this guy knew everything I knew and more. The chopper with Danny safely ensconced veered back toward Los Angeles, now backlit to the sun rising over the basin. I followed it till it was almost out of sight near the city. Can I go now? I asked this arrogant excuse for an FBI agent. I checked my watch. I had two and a half hours until I met Queenie. When Holland didn't answer, I asked him again. Well, you can go, Crud, but I'll be watching you. I don't want to see your puss anywhere near this investigation. You'll be prosecuted. Bad nodded as I took my keys out of my jeans pocket. The vet was just up the narrow road. I kept worrying about who might possess Danny's voice recorder. As I walked back to the car, I figured I'd get out of town and follow Queenie to San Clemente today. Man, I never thought Danny would survive this, said Bad, and Holland, he's a class one asshole. No kidding. I turned in the morning sunlight, the recorder. Well, if it was in that car, they'd got it by now. Maybe. The wind rippled my shirt and pushed my cap visor. Bad slid into the bucket seat, and I repositioned Buster. I got in the vet and juiced up the 427 engine. Holland's head snapped to the right at the sound of the machine. I'm not backing off, and I need to revisit Morgan City. Are you insane? asked Bad. Holland will bust you for sure, and Naki will kill you if you're given the chance. You heard, Holland. Naki is in Morgan City. I looked over my shoulder as I pulled out and looped back toward the Ventura Freeway. Catalina is the center of all of this. Oh, why not go for the trifecta and go back to Catalina? asked Bad. I formed a coy smile. I ain't going, Sam. And frankly, Woody was freaked out on those Catalina mountains. Woody was freaked out because he got played by two chicks in some bar. Oh, he didn't mention that. Woody mentions what Woody wants to mention. Queenie and I talked generalities across the lobby. Guess your uncle sat in front of the door with a rifle over his chest all night. That's Muck. That's why he has the Purple Heart. Does the Colonel know that? He does. thing about the colonel, he puts up this facade, but you have to watch what he does. We reached the breakfast nook. Queenie stopped at the Wainscoe corridor. In her cotton green sundress, 
She turned and put her hands on her hips. You look like hell, Crud. What happened? Am I that obvious? No, I just look for things. She said as we reached Mary Benton at the hostess desk. You just look messed up. Mary had bowl-cut, peroxided hair. Morning, Sam. Ms. McGonagall? Mary? By the fireplace? Yes, ma'am. Queenie took me by the arm and Mary sat us next to the stone fireplace. Queenie leaned forward after Mary left. What the hell happened? You've scuffed some of your sneakers and jeans, Sam? I was impressed with her observation. Once at the table, I began the story from the first time I checked my second cell phone last night with Bad. Queenie removed her notebook from her small white pocketbook. She wrote furiously, but didn't say much, until I told her that Bad spotted Danny's SUV down the slope. Oh, dear God. She held my wrist. They forced him into the canyon. Not him, the car. I had the cover to Danny's recorder, and Buster found Danny in the scrub. I called the police, and they flew in a chopper from Santa Monica. Danny's unconscious at Harbor Cove Medical. She shook her head continuously as I outlined Bill Holland's attempted takedown with threatening to yank my license. Why is he all over you? First, I thought he just didn't like me. Well, I can understand that, said Queenie, smiling. Shut. I think they at least know as much as we do. What about Naki? Apparently he was seen at a donut shop in Morgan City, Queenie, early this morning. Morgan City? Ah, the home of Constantine's Bar and the warehouse. And Al Compton's house, I said, in AM Builders. Morgan City is the nexus of this operation. Naki wouldn't go anywhere without instructions or for a purpose. For sure. She sat for several seconds and stared into the fireplace. Then she looked up. Do you think they told you everything they know? Hell no. But I do think I know most of what they know, Queenie. Holland knows what was unloaded by Al Compton, but not where it came from. Why not share evidence? asked Queenie. They want credit, and they don't want some shit-bum P.I. making them look bad. Was Holland and his agents over at Inland? I don't know. I don't know if they've seen the mural with the bushy-haired guy, or if they've seen the trailer in the barn. Ah, the barn said Queenie, looking as if she knew something wasn't right at Inland. You and I saw no sign of a call router in that trailer and no seahorse boxes. That pile of rocks is confusing, said Queenie, as one of the new waitresses brought us coffee. We ordered a full pancake breakfast, and then Queenie held my wrist. Sam, this thing is becoming very deadly. Ready to call it quits, Queenie? Hell no. Just making a note that we swim among sharks. Well put. What I need are the bills of ladings for accounts payable that would indicate the origin of the shipments. Queenie made a funny face. Maybe the FBI has it all. Getting the actual Richmond Express copies is impossible according to Bad. But then again, if you're breaking the law the way Naki and company were, why have a bill of lading at all? Queenie shook her head, and Compton was in the middle of this. Al Compton then got the goods out of there. I finished my second round of pancakes. I'm coming with you to San Clemente. I'm a big girl, Sam. You want to tell that to Naki? I asked. <laughs> Welcome aboard. Chapter 15. I met Mo Miller, Queenie's cameraman, who I had seen when I was interviewed by Queenie after someone tampered with my car. We traveled in the Z-75 station van to San Clemente, and I was frankly relieved to be out of the city and in a neutral place. With Mo driving the van, Queenie and I stayed away from the ever-expanding Al Compton case. Around 11, we set up the van near a five-story building downtown overlooking the ocean. While they were setting up inside, I called Harbor Cove Medical for the report on Danny. After a few snafus, I was given the report that Danny had been in surgery all morning, but they couldn't elaborate. The good news was he was semi-conscious. I watched Queenie in her professional mode as she set up a balanced report on both sides of union issues concerning better pay for service workers not only in this complex but in three other locations in San Diego. All the while my focus was surveilling the front area, waiting for anyone who might look suspicious wandering around the lobby. Around one I sent out for sandwiches but the whole production went past three o'clock. On the way back on the five freeway, Mo and I talked about the Dodgers pitching. I invited him to a game before the season ended. Queenie dozed in the front seat as we passed Capistrano. I shook my head when I thought about our drunken one-nighter, and I let her rest. 
Before we got to Oceanico Beach, my phone buzzed, and I casually removed it from my pocket. Sam cried. Oh, you're not going to like this one, said Marty. What's the matter, Marty? Bender making you buff his car? I stared out the van window as the warehouses and buildings whipped by on the freeway. Perez from the Hotel Munson. What about him? An unusual, fear-laden jolt pinged my gut. They found him in a dumpster in Rio Martos. Are you kidding me? I turned to the back of the van and the equipment and lowered my voice. That man was a crucial witness, Marty. Same M.O., Sam. Need knife slash to the neck. My heart rate, usually slow, flew out of sight like a jet off the runway at LAX. Where are you? Coming back with Queenie from San Clemente. She had a report. Well, maybe you should just keep driving. I can't stress that enough. You're in great danger with these bastards. Are you guys close to solving this, Marty? Maybe it's one of those cases you just don't want to solve, Sam. Queenie was awake now and seemed to sense the tone of Marty's call. She snapped her head to signal me. I understand, Marty. I'll call you after dinner. Take my advice, Sam. Bye. I mouthed to Queenie what Marty had just told me about Perez. Her eyes flashed open. Not good, Sam. When we got back to the TV station and we're in a side corridor, Queenie turned toward me. One by one, they're taking out people. Yeah, well, I just don't want to be on that list. Marty is very concerned. Again, he wants us both out of town. She nodded. I can understand that. Or maybe he's being told. Why do you say that? She asked. I have a very strong feeling about this case. I held her shoulder. Queenie, we're both into this way too deep, no matter what we do now. Well, I was hoping you'd say that. We began walking again. Marty's just trying to warn me. Inside the station, I met Larry Delgado, the station manager, and waited in the darkened upper room as Queenie went over to the San Clemente story, already being edited. I hurried by the main feed to the station, highlighting a nasty fire burning in the Inland Empire. I stepped closer to the fire, called the Snake Canyon Fire, which was only 15% contained. Gray, swirling smoke billowed into the blue sky on the monitor. Is that fire near Chandler? I asked the technician. The guy with the goatee looked over his shoulder. Yeah, 15 miles south of Chandler, the uh, winds, the winds are fanning it. Depends on which way the wind blows. One of the planes swept across the rocky scrub hills and dumped a huge amount of blue chemical in its wake. How did it start? Campfire. Winds blew it out of control. Stupid, stupid, stupid. I'll say. I walked along the monitors. As I stopped by a larger monitor surface at Huntington Beach, I thought sitting on the beach this afternoon might help us gather our thoughts. I was wondering why I dragged Queenie into this at all. Clearly, I didn't know the extent of the operation. I took a seat along the control room wall. One of the male interns brought me a cold bottle of water. I saluted and thanked him. I tried to talk myself into believing that Marty had exaggerated the threat. But then, the dance floor and Naki's blade zeroing in on my neck remained vivid in my thoughts. I looked up to see a serious queenie as she held several red and blue folders to her chest. She sat next to me. In Huntington Beach, she looked up. Surfers, let's head up there and figure out what we're going to do. Naki and company know the vet. Can Larry let me leave the vet in the garage? That shouldn't be a problem. We'll call an Uber around. They held her forearm. They can't get us if they can't find us, Queenie. By late afternoon, we sat on the beach, mostly empty now, but the surface continued their prey, gliding toward the shore. We talked about heading up north or even to Texas. Queenie bit into a double burger and wiped her lips. I want to pursue this story scene. I nodded. Well, maybe we can do both. What can we do if we're out of the area? Retroactive components. Registered in San Jose, an 87-year-old man named Tripp. I think Tripp was used. It means nothing. They just wanted the building. What about the guy who owns the bar? She asked. The waves broke continuously in the sun-drenched haze. We stood and began walking along the beach. Suchi from Constantine. He might not be connected. If go up there, our friendly neighborhood FBI supervisor might not like it, said Queenie, sipping the vanilla milkshake. I don't care about Howland and his bullshit. And this Catalina, I said, pointing across the water. To the west, the distant Catalina Mountains were silhouetted deep blue against the last afternoon sun over the ocean. Somebody picked up the shipment that was delivered to Richmond Express. 
Maybe they have the point of origin for Catalina on the bill of ladings. It's hard to say, I said, as we moved into the pier shadows. I doubt Bad can get those copies. But there is a boat ferry to Catalina. A van could easily bring small containers hidden to Richmond Express to make it legit, said Queenie. Right, right. The gig is to get the damn stuff mixed into legitimate shipments so it can't be untangled. What about that pit in the barn, she asked. Maybe Compton was supposed to be buried in Inland Acres. Look, I'm sure they made sure there was no seahorse boxes from Morgan City on that property once they arrived. They must have had strict procedures. What if they buried the contraband below the pit? Do you have proof? No, but I do have a gut feeling because of those strange rocks. You can bury someone without having chipped rocks. How about we just get on a cruise? She said, looking along the pier and the breakers. Let's just try Catalina, and then maybe Morgan City. Or Escobedo. Remember, Al Compton once transported computer chips hidden in walnuts. You think that's what it's all about, chips? And he stole expensive watches, delivery vans from Valdez, Mexico. Watches in mayonnaise jars. Tompkins, a.k.a. No Name, owned the vans. I would look for vans leaving Avalon. Avalon to Morgan City to Rio Martos and Rio Martos to Chandler. Maybe. That's very possible, Queenie. And how do we get from point A to point B? I smiled and pointed at her. I'll call Bad. He'll get me some wheels. Nothing fancy just to get us from point A to point B. We sat on the lip below the wall. I put my arm around her. What a way to get together in the middle of this mess. Count your blessings, cried. Blessings? The cement chipped on the wall behind us as I uttered the word. With the rifle sound that followed, I pushed Queenie to the sand and covered my body over her. Because she was a slender woman, I was able to move her in the sand along the wall toward the pier. I thought about firing my gun, but the shooter was hidden, and I wasn't going to stick my head over that cement wall. If God seen they'd kill us. No, they would have fired again. They've exposed themselves to everyone in the area. Just stay down. I was counting that what I said was true. Hopefully they couldn't see us below the wall from their position. I squinted in the sunlight, bursting through the concrete pylons. I took her hand and held up my gun with my other hand as we reached the pier at the edge of the ocean. Once we were under the pier, but still on the sand, I handed my phone to Queenie. Power down the phones, Queenie. Put them in your pocketbook. Then what? Place the straps of the pocketbookers on my back. My eyes darted from side to side, but I didn't see anything unusual in the parking lot. There were several people hiding under the light stanchions looking back toward the apartment across the street. Cars passed along the road under the palms, shielding rows of apartments. How did they find us? she asked. I don't know. I kept looking back as I thought. There are a few ways they could have tracked us. Follow the Uber, which they didn't do. I checked the road all the way up here from Oceanico Beach. But I used my credit card and the phones. They must know we're under this pier. I'll take option number one that they followed us down from the street where we picked up that Uber. That's the only way we might have a chance. If they can follow my credit card transactions, we're in bigger trouble than I thought. How can they be so powerful? She asked. Because they are. I said as I paused for a moment, I could see fear in her green eyes. I led her under the pier. I tucked my gun in the holster at my lower back. We slipped onto the stairs and the walkway from the street. Then we casually disappeared across the street with the crowd. Any second, I expected them to be on us. But we broke free back into the city. But were we safe? I had been across the channel to Catalina at night when I was a boy. and left Avalon with my parents and grandfather, Theodore Ted Crud, the original owner of the vet, on a spring holiday that turned to rain. Now I was afraid for our lives as Queenie and I stayed away from the commercial boats. I hired a guy north on Huntington Dog Beach, who was about to go home because of the wind. I paid him cash and got his number should we need a return flight from Catalina. Above us, the stars were brighter than I had ever seen over Los Angeles, thicker and spread like tantalizing hints of other worlds. The smooth slosh of the catamaran trail behind as Miguel, a.k.a. Mike, charted us on a direct course to the lights of Avalon just ahead. With Queenie's arms around me and her head on my shoulder, I was certain that the bastards who fired at us at Huntington Beach had no idea where we were. They might speculate, but then again, with multiple guesses, we could elude them if we stayed on the run. 
My goal was to figure out how and where they had dropped the goods on Catalina, and then determine if they used vans like Al Compton did out of Mexico with the computer chips and watches. Right now, I didn't care what was being transported. I wanted to know how, which would lead to who. I thought of the dead Al Compton, no matter what type of person he was purported to be, and how they transported his body via a boat to Oceanico Beach. By accident of the Oceanico Beach police being at the marina, his murderers had to dump Al Compton on one of the marina boats. His body never made it to the barn in Chandler. I was convinced he was supposed to disappear underground in Inland Acres. I warned Queenie that staying away from the surveillance cameras was a good thing. We hinted we wanted a hotel with privacy. Mike told us about a hotel a little way up the hill with cheap rooms but with a view of the LA lights. He would stay at a friend's house and return to Huntington in the morning. I searched in the shadows for 15 minutes before I found a payphone and I made a call. Woody. Sam. Music played in the background. Where the hell are you? Never mind that, Woodrow. Go to the phone in Kyle's office and call back this number. You got it. I leaned my head against the stucco. Does Woody ever question anything you say, Sam? Asked Queenie in the dim light. Negative. If I told him to swim the channel, he'd head for the beach. She laughed for the first time since the shooting. The phone rang. Yeah. It's me. I surmised that. I want you to go down to the ATM on the corner of Maine and Lubbock in Oceano Beach. What? Just listen to me, Woody. Take out 1500 out of my savings. Okay. And I'm going to be using your Bank of America visa. Somebody is tracking my credit card use. What's going on, Sam? Queenie and I are on the run. We've been fired upon earlier at Huntington, but we got away. Ah, oh, you're on the lam. Yeah. What'll I do with the money? You just stash it, Woody. I don't want to see that cash go up in smoke in some poker game. Yeah, you don't want to tell me where you are. No, I don't. Not because of you, because I think somebody is surveilling us. Look, Woody, activate the other smartphone and use that when I call you. I'm going to get a pay-as-you-go phone, which I will call you on tomorrow. Shut up, Woody. The vet is in Z-75 Station Garage. Leave it right where it is. They're probably watching the garage. More than likely the med, too. Last thing. Use my credit card and fill up your gas tank. Oh, gee, thanks, Sam. Fill it up in Chandler. Ah, the old fake-out. Said Woody, chuckling. You got all that? I wrote it all down. Well, good for you. Ciao. I turned to Queenie, who smiled. You're incredible. I have one maxim I live by. What's that, Sammy? Never underestimate anybody. Be prepared. The action accelerates as Sam and Queenie follow the trail that will lead to the Rosetta Stone of an operation compromised by Al Compton. We will see who runs that operation and how it began. The wind is getting stronger now over the Southland. I'm Robert P. Fitton. Marching toward the conclusion next week of Sam Crud and the Santa Ana Wind. Carry on. All of my books are available in paperback, Kindle, and audio at www.fittenbooks.com, or you can look at the list of audiobooks separately at pizzazz-pizzazz.com.